In December, I was still thinking, okay, so there's this big company doing this now, but they will do it behind closed doors and we will never really figure out what they are doing. So it, it's probably not going to be that relevant for us. So it's going to be a big headline in the news and everybody is going to talk about it, but we still have to find a solution that works fast and that we can actually use in academia and in our context. And so that's why I would actually say that for me, the, the big moment regarding AlphaFold 2 was when they announced that they are publishing those, those structures for Uniproton when they actually released the human protein, because that's something that I never expected. That's Dr. Maria Littman, a postdoctoral fellow in the lab of Burkhard Rost at Technical University of Munich. Dr. Littman works on ways to predict which protein residues, those are parts of a protein, bind DNA, metals, or small molecules. She uses amino acid sequences to make these predictions. More generally here, she's talking about AlphaFold 2. AlphaFold is a computational approach from DeepMind Technologies that has changed the way and the speed at which protein structures can be predicted. Protein structure prediction is the Nature Methods method of the year for 2021 because of the stir this approach is causing. You can find a bundle of commentaries on the Nature Methods site about how deep learning, especially AlphaFold, is shaping protein structure prediction and structural biology more generally, and maybe even biology itself. And I have a story there too in that collection for which I spoke to a number of scientists, including Dr. Littman, Dr. Burkhard Rost, the principal investigator, and PhD students in the Rost lab, Konstantin Weissenhoff and Michael Heinzinger. This podcast series is a way to share a bit more of what I've heard. It's a challenging problem to predict three-dimensional protein structure from amino acid sequence. Many academic labs have worked on this and have been working on this for a long time, including Dr. Rost and his team. AlphaFold has entered this space with a computational approach that has been trained on the datasets in the protein databank. AlphaFold predicts protein structure using machine learning, and there are other platforms that also handle protein prediction this way, such as RosettaFold. Basic researchers who mainly look at genomes might not be terribly interested in protein structure prediction, but many other scientists are. Here's Burkhard Rost. He used to be at Columbia University before moving to Munich. I'm just saying that because he mentions his institute in New York. Whenever a drug is developed, you need a structure. Uh, you need a structural biologist to be involved in it, except for mRNA, that's a different story. But for the regular drug development, this is absolutely true. But when you do cell biology, genetics, you have heard about structures. You have some ideas about structures. In, in, in New York, in my institute, I saw that. The, there are many people who did amazing things who, who never really understood what the structure means. And they never really cared. In there. And, and that continues to be the case. So in that sense, to what extent will now these models change biology at large? You have to really see how you can use structure in your research if your focus is genome. All you want to know is, is, is it a, an important mutation, yes or no? You don't care about the molecular biology or the, the function, the mechanistical aspect of it. But this is a step that will now happen, sort of make structures move. And the first people who will be relevant here are structural biologists. AlphaFold is of interest to structural biologists, and it will take a moment to see how the larger scientific community will use the many predicted protein structures. 
Scientists use machine learning to predict all sorts of things in many different areas. If you are not working with proteins, say you are a computer scientist applying machine learning in a different area, it might be hard to appreciate the excitement about this new capacity in predicting protein structures. Burkhard Rost has an example from one of his students, Guy Yaktav, who used Game of Thrones in his teaching about machine learning in biology. One of my students, Guy Yaktav, uh, had a great idea. So he had to teach uh, JavaScript, some programming language, web uh, and, and machine learning to students. And he felt the cool thing is I have biology, right? So I'm going to have a big group of students. And indeed, he had a sign up of 100 students. And th then he get this course and the students were absolutely frustrating. At the end of one year, they never understood biology because it's way too complex uh, for computer scientists. They want to have clear data. And what they learned is nothing is clear, nothing is known. So they were just frustrated. They never understood the machine learning, never understood the database, JavaScript, nothing. They were only frustrated. So Guy thought, why not try a problem that is easier? And he came up with, why don't I predict who is going to die next in Game of Thrones? Uh, and that was a, an incredible splash. By the way, there were two. So the, 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 they, they were both successful. A few years later, we did not predict who's going to die next, but who is going to, that was in the last season. So the first one was before the fourth season, I believe. So we predicted that Snow, I don't know whether you know Game of Thrones, that Snow would not be dead. So he, he seemingly died in the season before, and the method predicted that he wouldn't be dead, right? Uh, so and it came out before the season. So we had, we had no no background. We, we uh, And for me, had I done that, I would have been such a loser because at that point I'd never seen Game of Thrones, right? AlphaFold has made some noise in the way it has entered the protein structure prediction field. It was developed by the AI startup DeepMind Technologies that was bought by Google and so it's part of Alphabet. In 2018, AlphaFold 1 did well in the Critical Assessment of Protein Structure Prediction, or CASP a competition in which scientists test how well their methods do in computationally predicting protein structures. And in 2020, AlphaFold was far better than any other platform competing at CASP. There's a database called the European Bioinformatics Institute AlphaFold database that is filling up with computationally predicted protein structures for the research community to use. You can hear more about AlphaFold, what it does and what it cannot do in other podcasts in this series. I spoke, for example, with Dr. Janet Thornton of the European Bioinformatics Institute and Dr. David Jones at University College London. And I spoke with Dr. Helen Berman, the former director of the Protein Data Bank and current co-architect of the next chapter of the Protein Data Bank. Back to Burkhard Rost and some of the scientists in his lab, I asked them what AlphaFold means to them and how it will shape their careers. I'm going to start out with some thoughts Burkhard Rost has shared about what AlphaFold does. AlphaFold combines evolutionary information about proteins with machine learning, and it's a principle he has worked on too. Essentially, the idea of combining evolutionary information with machine learning, that is in fact something that I introduced into into the literature. In fact, I, for secondary structure prediction, I was the first to sort of realize that. And that ultimately is the breakthrough of AlphaFold in a, in a, on a grander scale with bigger machines, with big, bigger evolutionary information, uh, with bigger machine learning that is now AI. So that's the big step. Uh, but the prediction requires to 100% an alignment. 
without an alignment so without this evolutionary information you could do it that's where the information is that they use and that's where a lot of the smartness is how to use it better uh, it is also true smartness is one word but they actually could not have done it five years ago they did not have the machines were too small the ai was too small and the evolutionary information was too little so a few years ago we just did not have enough sequences as simple as that in his view this evolutionary information is not needed to predict protein structure in the field what some labs including his use is a technique from computational processing of natural language or NLP. So the idea behind it is now we from NLP. So when you do speech recognition these days, you have these automated machines. T5, you may have heard, is, is one thing from Google. And essentially, the way they do that is they make the machine learn sentences. So they feed it with Wikipedia or bigger parts of, of sentences. And then essentially the machine extracts grammar, right? That is what is happening now. We have used the same. We are only one group, but we are one of the groups who has used the same concept for the protein language. So in comes a protein sequence, out comes a protein sequence. In between is a lot of computation going on uh, and really a lot of computation. But the point is that we learn from these sequences, the machine in between, my head in between, learns the grammar of protein languages. You build models that are language models of proteins. One aspect that helped the DeepMind Technologies team jump way ahead of others in CASP 14 was the way AlphaFold tackled the challenge of protein structure prediction. In 2017, Google brain scientists presented at the Conference on Neural Information Processing Systems something that was later published as a paper called Attention is All You Need. The concept is part of the big jump that AlphaFold 2 took at CASP 14. Attention is a computational concept that in this case tells the computer what to pay attention to when it is taking a sequence of amino acids and predicting what three-dimensional protein structure that sequence will become. But ultimately what happens now is that the machine somehow has learned the grammar of the, the sequence, right? Grammar of the sequence, what it means is context. So if I've I'm sitting on, re on residue number 42, and that's an alanine, and at uh, 81 is also an alanine, but they have different environments. And this machine has learned these environments. Now, where the word attention comes into play here is by learning the environment, I learn essentially for 42, I see the entire protein around it, right? It's a sequence. I have no idea about the three-dimensional object. That's not what they learn. They just learn this thing. But then they sort of tend to put more emphasis on what is in the immediate environment. And that's why attention comes in crucially. Because attention now allows you to essentially not only put all that information in, but to teach the system also 84 is more important than 69. Yes, you're in an environment and everything somehow about the environment is important, but put your attention on certain parts of the environment. So that's the attention mechanism. When a machine has had as input experimental protein structure data from the protein data bank, it can extrapolate the grammar. The story gets cool and we are not really understanding what is happening. But, so the point is we, historically, I tended to argue that there is something like evolutionary constraints that is in these alignments that Google uses for AlphaFold. Evolutionary constraints is because you learn that 40, 41, cert, or 40, uh, residue number 42, certain exchanges are possible. For the same alanine at some other position, the exchanges are different. 
And this exchange pattern that you have, that is what Google uses for AlphaFold. That's sort of what I introduced for secondary structure prediction with a method that then was called PhD. Longer story why it was called PhD. Uh, and then later it was called Prof. That is quite obvious why it was called Prof then. Uh, I, was at, I had arrived at Columbia and I had obviously my role had changed. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the idea is this, uh, these methods used exactly this sort of exchange pattern. And we, 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 I thought that the machine can, no, reality is the machine can exclude, uh, can extract what exchange pattern from this alignment, from this evolutionary environment is important, which is not. Okay. Now the story is slightly different. If I just learn sequences, how do I know that this thing learns anything about 3D? Then how do I know this thing learns anything about function, anything about families? In fact, it doesn't. Nevertheless, we can predict conservation. We can predict conservation means at a particular position 41, will I observe always alanine or not? That is written in that sequence without having ever taught a family, without ever having presented all these related proteins. How did that thing learn that? We actually don't know. To which extent did the thing learn that? We have, so as far from here, I'm saying these systems, and that's a big fight I have with David Jones, for instance. Um, I, I'm saying since, since, since years, since more than a year, actually, David says they have learned evolutionary information. I say they haven't because they were never taught that way. Um, but more and more, I'm also running around and telling people, I, they never learned evolution, but we see evolutionary aspects. So my reasoning is because they essentially have learned let's say, physical constraints. And evolutionary constraints and physical constraints are the same thing at the end of the day. It's just some constraint on what your protein can do. And by exploring this vast space of two billion protein sequences, you sort of extract that information into these very big machines. By the way, again, this is something that two years ago we could not have done. Every two years, there is a CASP competition, the Critical Assessment of Protein Structure Prediction. AlphaFold was the surprise at the competitions, especially at CASP 13 in 2018 and CASP 14 2020. So ever since CASP 1, there never was a winner of CASP who had not been somehow in the field. So whoever won, somehow, even at CASP 1, those who sort of won were in the field for some time. Uh, and so there was a tradition, you can only successfully be a good person in this field, or a successful person in this field, if you really know what you're doing. And, and many sort of learned, so became successful. Many started as outsiders and, and sort of got into it. And from CASP to CASP improved every two years. 13, CASP fast forward, CASP 13. That was the first time that anybody was a sort of winner who came from the outside. They were hit, the organizers were hit uh, by, it was a truck that, that hit them, right? Or a freight train, I don't know what it was. Um, and in fact, the other real reality is that at Cast 13, no matter what the shock was, AlphaFold 1 was not clearly heads on the best method. Right? It was for every single protein in CASP 13, there was another method that was better. It was incredible because it was done merely by AI. 
merely or to some extent largely by a team of people is not quite true because David, for instance, was involved in that. So they had inside information. They were not really outsiders, but they were way more outsiders than any other previous winner. Burkhard Rust himself has not been involved with CASP for a few years, but his lab is, and they have had projects that they sent into the competition. There's Konstantin Weisenhoff and Michael Heinzinger. I've been out of CASP for many years. Uh, so the first time that we re- really actually do ca- uh, stru- structure prediction in some sense uh, is through Konstantin, through Michael over the last few years, two years to be more precise. Was there Simply, Ember? I was looking at the abstracts. There was Ember? Yeah, that okay. Ember is just from this year. The difference between CASP 13 and CASP 14 was quite substantial. I do not believe that anybody at the point of 13 predicted 14 to be 14 the way it was. The event 14 was again another freight train. Uh, and this reality, there, there, are, there are worlds between the Alpha 1 and Alpha Fold 2. The worlds in between are Alpha Fold 1 is an amazingly accurate prediction. It's incredible that machine learning can do that. But they essentially did it by muscle, by intelligence of using AI and by a lot of muscle. Alpha Fold 2 is a completely different product. It's full of interesting ideas. There's a lot of expertise in there. These are not people who have never done structural biology. There are, there, there are many intelligent ideas. So this is a perfect example for joining the best of both, both worlds. The problem that you talk about is now. So since now AlphaFold 2 solved the protein structure prediction problem, full stop. Since now that has happened, the next issue comes up. Not only what do I do next, uh, but also, what is going, Google going to do next? What is DeepMind going to do next? And what should I stay out of? Because they're going to hit me in that one. Konstantin Weisenhoff is a PhD student in the Rost lab. He has been working on protein structure prediction software. I remember back when CUSP 13 hit. So this was in 2018. Uh, this was when I was in the middle of my master thesis, actually. I was not a PhD student at that time. And um, basically, I mean, December is the time when the results are published. So this was right in the middle of my master thesis. And it was working in exactly the same direction. So I was using deep learning to predict, uh, in this case, contacts and distances. So um, I was, of course, very impressed by what DeepMind showed there. But it didn't really have a huge impact on me. Well, firstly, because I was still in my master thesis. I didn't quite worry about potential PhD at that point, at least. Um, and also because, as Burkhardt mentioned, it was a different system than AlphaFold 2. AlphaFold 1 was still quite traditional in its approach. So it was certainly possible from the information they gave out, even before the paper, to try to uh, reverse engineer the system and have one's own take on it. And this is essentially what I tried to do. So I tried to adapt some things during my master thesis in my project to incorporate ideas that AlphaFold had been uh, putting out there. But really, the the, the big impact came with CUSP 14, with AlphaFold 2, when I was already a PhD student working in that area. And then this, this huge difference, which was, which was going on there between AlphaFold 2 and the rest of the field, which wasn't quite so pronounced in CUSP 13, right? It was certainly the winner, but not, not with such a big difference. And uh, CUSP 14 was a different story. And this really discouraged any further um, investment into the same area where we would, where we would be competing with uh, AlphaFold 2 directly. Wow, interesting. And just a, a question. So I think time-wise, when CASP 14, when the results were revealed, at that time, 
uh, DeepMind hadn't really made public their code, right? So it wasn't possible for UIs to 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 crawl in, right? It was like a gigantic um, black box on a freight train, I think, if I'm using uh, Burkhardt's imagery, right? So boom, I see. Hmm. Absolutely. And people tried immediately to, to figure out how to actually reconstruct the whole thing. So there was an initiative going on of several CUS participants who tried to organize and communicate and figure out if they could actually, well, reverse engineer the whole system. And I don't think it came that far, at least not up to the point where DeepMind actually published material. Michael Heinzinger, also a PhD student and a member of the lab, remembers CASP 14 rather vividly. So I was... Uh more or less at the very end of wrapping up the uh, story about protein language models, um, which was for us uh, the major thing at this time. Um, but I remember pretty precisely the moment where I was sitting in front of this live stream of CASP 14. Um, and even though that uh, I personally was not that much involved in this competition, it was rather Konstantin's work. Um, at the point where all those experimentalists actually um, told that, okay, hey, we have here now a system that is actually competitive with our experiments. This was the point where I also thought, okay, this is now a point in time that people might actually then read in history books years or decades after this point. Because this was the first time really that uh, an AI system was uh, competitive at something sophisticated as protein fault detection with uh, 3D experiments. Um, and this was just mind blowing. Yeah, this kind of paradigm shift that we saw in CASP 14 when experimentalists suddenly started to use prediction systems, AlphaFold 2 specifically, to actually get better models or actually get to a proper model uh, for their experiments. So this, this was kind of not happening before, right? This was a novelty. Some say that academia might have gotten there with a fast way to predict many protein structures. And another aspect that has come up in my interviews is that perhaps the biggest advantage of AlphaFold 2 was that the team had access to massive compute power. Here's Michael Heinzinger on these points, first on the aspect that academia would have gotten to this point on their own. Sure, at one point. <laughs> it's just a matter of time. So I, I also read these discussions um, that we as academia would also have approached this point surely. Um, but there were estimates that we would have reached this point in five to 10 years. And I think this it's, is, kind of, I mean, it's difficult to say it's some type of prediction, but I do not think that it's unrealistic. Um, it would have just taken longer. And I have to strongly, very strongly disagree with the statement that it's just about compute. This is uh, so much of an oversimplification of what these people achieved. Um, Sorry, strongly disagree. There is so much novelty in AlphaFold 2, not one AlphaFold 2. And again, as Konstantin pointed out, uh, one, you could re-engineer, two was just too full of really cool new ideas that nobody had ever done like that. But, and here comes the next point, nobody could have had done that without the compute power of Google. We would have never thought in that direction. So all we try for a typical cast is we try to speed up the alignment generation since decades. Nobody would have ever, so we use 200 million sequences. Nobody would have dared 2.5 billion sequences. Nobody of us would have ever dared genetic algorithm because we try to get it done. Genetic algorithm means 100 times slower. Now they did not only use genetic algorithm, they iterated over it. So they did that 10, 30, 40 times. Nobody would have ever come up with that idea. Even if even if we had had dreamt, we would not. We all somehow 
the reality is we all confined to somehow the space in which we can move. And this was a space so far away from us. It is a lot about uh, computing time, but there's much more to it. With, with computing time alone, we would not have been able to do it. And without and the computing time, we could also not have done it. Now here comes the next part. And you got yeah. you got to this conclusion because you you guys have crawled into the algorithm and looked at it and, and played no, with it? No, I got into that because I've been working on methods that sort of do something in that direction for, for three decades. Yeah, I got to this because I'm somehow the one who sort of invented this idea of evolutionary information. But they have just taken it to a level I mean, this is sort of my shtick since 30 years. So I've thought a lot and I've never, never, never gone anywhere near what these guys have done in that, that respect, right? Totally impressed, but totally, totally impressed. I'm utterly impressed by what they did. They did. So when I started 30 years ago, I said that what I want to do is what they did. I would have very soon, I realized the path is further away and I will never get there. And I changed my direction. And I sort of, that is in fact how I got out of CASP. And I, when I came to Colombia, my, my mission changed from trying to predict structure to whatever can I do that will be visible or will impact the large genomes. So that was the time 2000 at the, at which we sequence entire organisms. And my feeling was I want to make statements that are relevant for entire proteomes, entire genomes. And not individual proteins, and that sort of changed my 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 thing. But had I worked on it for twenty years, I would not have come anywhere closer to where where, where we were in in twenty sixteen. And I'm utterly impressed. AlphaFold has impressed. It interrupts work underway and possibly careers. It changes viewpoints about what is possible. Now let's sort of fast forward. December twenty, big surprise. But we get into March 21, and there still is this feeling, yes, they got there, really impressive. But this costs $100,000 per prediction, per protein structure. This costs as much as the experiment. Yes, they are. They, they sort of help the experimentalists, but you know, it's an equal sort of pay. Uh, and then we sort of still feel, if we could do that faster, we can still do things that Google cannot do. And that is the story of, of Constantine. So Constantine was preparing in July to predict, to, to give a paper out there for the first time ever in history, predict the structure for every single protein in human, right? And boom, we got scooped again. Uh, and this Ouch. is when it's just the, before Google published this entire protein for human and, and many others. And over the course of the next year, they will essentially publish every single structure prediction for the entire Uniprot, 250 million, right? Uh, that's a collaboration with the EBI. And that's just outstanding. Uh, now, I believe the, from here on, the issue really is what can we do with it? Not is the issue, what can we do as alternative tasks? How can we use that? How useful is it? But again, I want to make another point. Our group has not been hit once because for one reason, we were not really completely into cars. We were into other things that are still not solved. But two, because the kinds of things that we do is, is currently they, Google does not use language models. Yes, they at some point will, will do use language models, but the, currently the level that they reach is reached by throwing a lot of, of things at it. Constantine is predicting the entire human proteome with a machine under his desk where he's sitting 
and that machine runs for one for eight days, and then it gets essentially the entire thing for for you. That's incredibly. So essentially, let's put it differently. Our shtick now has become. I invented combination of machine learning and evolutionary information. I want to uninvent it. So let's just do it without. Let's do the same thing without. And Google AlphaFold just perfected that idea. Uh, and let's now see what we can do without. Maria Littman, a postdoctoral fellow in the lab, is keen on exploring what she can do with the many protein structures now being predicted by AlphaFold. At the time of the interview, Maria Littman had just begun her fellowship. Yeah, so, so I'm officially a postdoc because I defended my PhD thesis in, in June. Um, but I'm currently also in a, a more complicated situation scientifically because um, I will be gone for some time for the next couple of months because I'm uh, actually eight months pregnant. I will be stepping down a bit from my scientific work um, and focus on my family. And I mean, that's also why currently I'm, I'm not that much affected by, by AlphaFold 2 because all of the things to come... Um, At least for the next couple of months, I won't be there. But I think afterwards, um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how we can actually, what what Booker just mentioned, integrate the the availability of these models into our work and extend on what we've been doing for the past years. Although she was not working directly on protein structure prediction, she too had a CASP-14 moment of surprise. A CASP-14 moment? Similar to, to also Michael and Constantine, I was of course hit uh, when they published those results and when I just saw this figure that AlphaFold 2 is, is beating everybody by, by magnitudes and that they actually solved the, the protein folding problem. But in December, I was still thinking, okay, so there's this big company doing this now, but they will do it behind closed doors and we will never really figure out what they are doing. So it, it's probably not going to be that relevant for us. So it's going to be a big headline in the news and everybody is going to talk about it. But we still have to find a solution that works fast and that we can actually use in academia and in our context. And so that's why I would actually say that for me, the, the big moment regarding AlphaFold 2 was when they announced that they are publishing those, those structures for Uniprot and when they actually released the human protein, because that's something that I never expected. So I would always, always assume that they are trying to earn a lot of money with that and that they will only give out these structures if you pay a lot of money and that we will nef- never have access to it and that we have to rely on other methods to, to predict structures. And when they actually announced that they're going to make it publicly available, I think that's where for me it, it changed because that means that this, this whole, okay, we don't have high resolution structures from, for most proteins, it's just not, not true anymore. So we could now actually revisit whatever we have done using sequences and actually say, okay, can we improve if we put a structure on top of it? So what Maria predicts is input is only sequence, right? She predicts here is a, uh, my, my left hand is a binding residue and my right hand is a binding residue. It becomes a binding site when in 3D they come together. And that's the part only from sequence she cannot predict. She says, this is about DNA binding. This is a DNA binding. Is it the same DNA binding site? And that for that, she needs a model. So in that sense, her method would benefit from, from that. And that is something that, that we are going to look at. And, and I actually, I mean, I, I work on the prediction of binding residues and it's actually focused on residues because if you only use the sequence and you don't know what the actual binding site looks like because you need the structure for that. And, and now is basically the point where I think it's, it will be very interesting to look if we can actually move from binding residues to binding sites and then also actually have the possibility in a structure to identify, okay, there's more than one binding set because currently we can just say, okay, it's binding, but we don't know if it's binding multiple things, for example. And um, I think that's just possible with AlphaFold 
to, in general, with just making structures available for, for large proteomes. I mean, also with methods like the one from Constantine. So we, we are at this point where we can actually predict structures on a large scale and we can use those uh, probably for our, for our methods. And I think that's something that, that I didn't consider um, when I started my PhD, for example, four years ago. AlphaFold is shifting things for many labs and for many individual researchers. Here's Michael Heinzinger. Uh, regarding the, the change of plans uh, based on AlphaFold 2 success, um, yes, absolutely. This, this changed a lot, lot in a sense that um, suddenly we have a second source of um, high quality labels available that we could potentially use for um, transfer learning, for example. Um, I mean, this is what uh, my work with the protein language models mostly focused on. And we mostly tapped into this um, extremely uh, rich um, source of information of these large unlabeled protein sequence databases. Um, and I mean, this worked only so well because we just have so many unlabeled sequences available. But suddenly we have this second orthogonal source of information available with 3D structures um, that we could potentially combine with the first um, source of information. Um, and I mean, I think one of the most important next steps is how to best utilize this um, wealth of structure information that we now have at hand. Um, I mean, this uh, database of, of EBI and AlphaFold2 keeps growing. Um, you can watch it, how it grows into the millions. Um, and at one point, it will be rather a question, how do we best utilize it for something like ligand prediction? Because I mean, this structure is having these structures is amazing. It's nice to look at, um, but without any labels, it's um, only for very few experts, very useful. Um, and also these experts usually then focus only only very few proteins. Um, but in order to, to um, facilitate the analysis of, of more proteins and make it also easier available to maybe non-experts uh, that are not trained for decades, um, you need labels. This makes it just a lot easier. Um, so overlaying these uh, amazing 3D structures of AlphaFold2 with some other sort of predictions um, uh, makes the analysis just a lot easier. Oh, I see. Ma labels means uh, the electrostatic information, the atomic ah, information? Sorry. Or? Yes, no, for example, DNA binding. So, I mean, otherwise you're just sitting in front of this 3D thingy and you can turn it, wiggle it, it's nice, uh, uh, and you can color it according to some alpha helix or beta sheet, but that's then mostly it. Um, in order to know whether there is some ligand binding, you need some um, other source of label. This is what I was referring to with label. And, and okay. Ligand binding is just the easiest example. Let me jump in in terms of language, Vivian. I'm in this field for 30 years and within a year I lose the language and I don't understand what these guys are talking about. This AI is 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 developing so quickly. There is a new generation. Michael is sort of in between the two camps. So Michael at this point is one of the few who can communicate to both of them. But this NLP, National Language Processing, uh, people they, they use so many different words and so we try to one of our manuscripts has been published uh, in an ai journal or ieee journal and it's, it's almost impossible so one reviewer was from the computational biology one reviewer was from uh, nlp and one was from ai and each one of them complained about the language because they didn't understand what we talk about so this word label is just one of those things yes you have an, annot an experimental annotation for some feature Konstantin Weisenhoff developed software called Ember that had the capability to predict the structure of the entire human proteome. Here's Konstantin Weisenhoff. 
So in our case, we, we do not really host many predicted structures yet. So what we have is uh, the set of predictions for the human proteome, which I did in July, where we were beat by AlphaFold 2 by about two weeks. So it wasn't quite that interesting to really put it out in a, on a larger scale. So we just hosted uh, on our infrastructure. And apart from that, we just had the method available. So anyone who wants to run it um, based on just single sequence input can just do it. And as Booker pointed out, uh, you can do this on a normal PC. So if you just do it for a handful of proteins, it's so fast, it doesn't really need to be pre-computed and put anywhere. So the, the point again is, first of all, again, we have been scooped. And if you are scooped, there's no point trying to get your stuff that is less good available to people. Second point, the main angle that we have, the main advantage that we have is speed. And that speed is exactly what Konstantin said. Anybody can run it when they do a design issue. How, what would happen if I change that particular residue? What's the strongest possible effect? And for that, you don't need a database. You don't need a storage of these predictions. What you essentially need is the tool in your hands. And that is the case. Google has plenty of compute resources. And the DeepMind team used and uses those resources. Estimates from some groups, at least at the beginning, was that each predicted protein structure cost an estimated $100,000 per protein. That's an estimate. That was the estimate. Google never stood up and said, this is what it costs. And it is also complicated because Google has, so there are some, so how can you translate that to a cost of the machine that you can buy? So Google has, particular processors, they're called TPU, as opposed to a CPU to a GPU, they're called TPU, and only Google has them. And for some of the stuff that Michael is doing, we absolutely need TPUs. So our success would not be possible without the TPUs from Google. And we cannot buy them. So you, you cannot just, uh, I order a TPU, put it into my lab. Impossible, right? So we cannot really say what the price at the time in December, until December was. The 100 number there was an estimate. I predict that they will sort of get to the same level with much less uh, energy. With much less, ultimately, they will sort of take it from us and, and uh, run and, and use fewer computers and get the same performance. That's what I suspect. You cannot buy these TPUs, the Google processors, but you can use them on a Google cloud. And there are versions of AlphaFold that have made predicting protein structures a little less compute intensive. Michael Heinzinger explains. I think what they published uh, during CUSP was a lot more compute intensive. So there they ran an ensemble of models and then merged their predictions, uh, the outcome of those models. Um, what is currently used by the EBI um, to make this large scale available um, is a single model as far as I know. Um, so they realized that the benefit of running 10 models in parallel was minor given the additional compute you would need. Um, so I think there is also a difference between what they had to spend back then and what they are spending right now. So I just wanted to add that I completely agree with Michael that with this uh, large database of, of structures available at some point, I think that our prediction methods become much more important because we have a lot of unlabeled structures then and it might be interesting to just say, okay, we can now predict functional aspects that we don't know for those structures, but that in the end is what we are interested in because we, we want to understand how protein works. And I think then uh, combining those predicted structures with our predictions is, is probably a, a great opportunity, especially for, for the work that our lab has been doing. And uh, also one more generic statement about, uh, a positive statement about AlphaFold 2. So for me, um, it was always inspiring that something like this is, is actually possible at all. So, I mean, 
I think more from a personal perspective, if you, if you tell people I'm a computational biologist, it's often like, what are you doing? And you say, we're trying to predict things that others can do at an experiment much better. And then everybody's like, yeah, but do I actually need that? Why I'm not asking a biologist to do an experiment. And now we can actually show that what we are trying to achieve is, is possible so that we can actually predict something, even if it's not really us, but currently just Google, but we can basically prove to, to people that computational biology can actually achieve something that is, that is really helpful. And it's not just happening in academia and, and uh, interesting to study, but it's actually something that, that could impact science in, in, the, in the bigger picture. And I think that's, that's something that I learned from, from the success of AlphaFold 2, that something we never thought would be possible was possible in an instance. And I think that's, that's something that we can hope for it might be possible also for other parts of, of uh, computational biology. And I think that's something that is really cool. Let, let me give you one aspect of, of what is relevant from, from Maria's perspective. She said that, I just want to sort of translate that. Yeah. And Michael sort of implied that. So Maria works on a method that essentially predicts binding residues for nucleotides, for metals, and for small molecules. What she doesn't do is sugars, what she doesn't do is proteins, right? But some fraction of all the binding of proteins is included in that, right? Now, she worked on her method for a few years and then said she finished it and then she wanted to see what new data has been added over the last two years with respect to experiments on binding residues for any organism, not human, any organism out there. Two years of experiments, any organism. And then we have always some redundant information, we have to throw that out. And at the end of the day, for how many new proteins did we get information? What do you believe? non-redundant. So really unique that we can actually test our method on. A lot, believe, I would just imagine. Give me, give me a number. What do you mean by this word, lot? 20,000. Yes, 46. 46, not thousand. Not thousand, not million, not nothing. 46, right? That is the yield after sort of moving our duplicates of two years of experiment, the entire world, any experimental, uh, any organism. Uh, and that ultimately is exactly the point that she made from these models, her kind of reproaches benefit, because there's so little out there. And anything that she can get is on top of what Google does. So she's totally happy. Some scientists are happy about AlphaFold, and some have been scooped. AlphaFold has surprised researchers in many ways. And that was today's episode of Conversations with Scientists. Today's episode was with Dr. Burkhard Rost from Technical University of Munich. And it was with Dr. Maria Littmann, a postdoctoral fellow in the lab, and Konstantin Weisenhoff and Michael Heinzinger, who are PhD students in the lab. And I just wanted to add, because there's confusion about these things sometimes, the Technical University of Munich did not pay to be in this podcast. This is independent journalism produced by me in my living room. I'm Vivian Marks. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>